Good morning. This is round three. I, I really appreciate what you do, buddy. I think we started here this morning and went over to the other uh, location, and now we're back. But it's, it is good to be with you today, and it's good to be back in Shannon and Sherry's home with their kids who aren't kids anymore. Uh, when I met them, I, there was only two, I think, or three. No, two, three. And they were about that big, and we've stayed in touch through the years, and I've loved to see the, the work that God has done here in Asheville through Highland Christian Church. Good, let me get that right. <laughs> but it's good to be here. Uh, as, as we began to try, you know, the, the call on our lives was to try to take our faith uh, and the hope we have in Christ and pass it on to the next generation. So our, our focus has always been working with teenagers and children. And just because we believe something doesn't mean our children are going to believe it. We, we, you know, we hope that they would, that they would believe what we believe, but that's not the case. In fact, even in uh, Israel, when they went into the promised land, in Judges chapter 2, they, uh, Joshua, Moses had died, Joshua led them into the promised land, and they finally, a 400-year-old promise that they would return to the promised land, and finally, after 400 years, the promise is fulfilled. Joshua leads them in, and then Judges chapter 2 says... Then Joshua died. And then came the next generation that neither knew God nor had seen the great things he had done. Isn't that interesting? One generation after they entered the promised land, the next generation forsook God. So how many generations does it take to win the world to Christ? One. And how many generations does it take to totally abandon our faith in Christ? One. So we as parents and even as Christian young people, we know how, how we want to pass our faith on to those who don't know Jesus. We want to keep this thing going. And so that's sort of been the focus of our ministry. And so we've, we've been doing that in the cities where I served as youth pastor and then began to travel across the U.S. and help other people with a vision for, for, share, for passing on our faith in Christ and our hope in Christ to the next generation. And then a few years back, we started getting calls from outside the U.S. And now we're sharing this with cities literally around the world. And we don't go in with the answers and we don't go in to do it. We actually go in with this, this dream, this vision that God's given us of coming together in unity and working together to pass on our faith to the next generation. And people are wanting to do that all over the world. The same way we want our children to know the Lord and to know His love and His forgiveness and the hope we have in Jesus. Families around the world that know Jesus want their children to have that too. So and there's so many ways that even with different cultures and different challenges that we're all the same. There is one thing uh, we've learned as we began to travel. I said, Lord, what is, a, is there a message that you want me to share with people? That what, what would be this message that would really encourage people and give them hope? Uh, give me a message. And so I always try to do that. You know, Lord, uh, speak through me to people. Uh, something you want to tell them. So I was sort of on this journey. And uh, I was actually eight years ago, I was speaking in Sacramento, California. And uh, we were in the Capitol building. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was the, uh, you know, was the governor. And across the hall was his assistant, the guy who did everything for him. And this young man, 
good-looking Hispanic, dark skin, dark hair. Looked like he came out of GQ magazine. You know, just good-looking. He loved Jesus. And he, was, he had pulled city leaders together and church leaders together. And right across the street in the Capitol building, in one of the caucus rooms, we were holding this meeting. And I looked at him and I said, now, have you ever talked to Arnold about Jesus? He said, every day. I tell him every day. <laughs> he said, I pray for him. I try to pray with him. Arnold knows about Jesus. So uh, God has his people everywhere, doesn't he? So, but he, we had this meeting, and so we're talking about what are we going to do to come together to reach the next generation. We, we can't just think it's going to happen. We've got to be intentional and focused, and, and we've got to live this thing and share it. And what, what, what are the things we can do as a city to reach the young people of our city? So great response. And I got through, and this little guy came up to me, a little Hispanic pastor, and he was real tiny and sort of bent over and wiry, you know, sweet, just gentle little old man. And he comes up, checks me, and says, thanks for telling us about the kingdom of God. And I said, you're welcome. And I turned away and I was going, I don't have a clue what he just meant because I didn't say anything about the kingdom of God. You know, I, I was talking about reaching kids for Jesus. And so I, I thought, I was trying to think back what I had said that sort of triggered that with him. And then I forgot about it, you know. And so two weeks later, I was down in Birmingham, Alabama, and a group of leaders, Birmingham has a great first priority in it. And uh, so I'm meeting with these pastors and youth leaders on the north side of town. I'm speaking, talking about sort of reinvigorating, sharing this vision to reach the next generation. And this pastor walks up to me and shakes my hand and says, thank you for teaching us about the kingdom of God. And I was going, what did I say? I don't even know what I said that... Uh, that he responded that way. And I got to thinking, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? So I go, uh, two weeks later, I get, do any of y'all know any wacky prayer ladies? <laughs> I've got some wacky prayer ladies that pray for me. I mean, they hear from God and they see demons and angels. And I've, you know, I was with them one day and they said, yeah, there's an angel in the room. I said, where? I don't ever get to see anything like that. You know, and I'm going, y'all are wacky, but I'm glad you're here, you know, that, that you get to see that stuff. But Debbie calls me from Wisconsin. She said, Benny, I, I've been praying for you, and God told me to tell you to read the Gospel of Luke. And I said, okay, Debbie. I said, uh, why am I supposed to read the Gospel of Luke? And she said, I don't know. She said, I just know every time I pray for you, God says, tell Benny to read the Gospel of Luke. And I said, well, I've read it, but I'll read it again, you know. So, so I, I get the Gospel of Luke out, and I start reading through it. And I come to Luke chapter 4, verse 43, and it said, And Jesus gathered his disciples and said, I must go city to city and town to town and preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, for that's the reason I came into the world. Let me say that again. I must go city to city and town to town and preach the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. For that is the reason I came into the world. And I went, mm, the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, so when you hear the word gospel, what do you, th I mean, what do you think? I know when I heard the word gospel, I would think, well, the gospel is God sending his son Jesus into the world uh, to become one of us. And then he takes on our sin goes to the cross and dies for our sins. And now we've been, uh, you know, uh, purchased. We've been redeemed. And through faith in Christ, 
you know, we can now go to heaven when we die. So he came to rescue us and to give us uh, uh, access to heaven. That's the gospel. Well, it is a piece of it. But it's not the whole gospel. So I began to read and I, I went through and I read the And so um, how many of you ever heard born again? You ever heard that? How many times is born again in the Bible? Twice. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and it, it introduces Nicodemus in that chapter by saying, and Nicodemus was waiting on the kingdom of God to come. So he had this concept or whatever he thought of the kingdom of God. He was waiting for it to come. So Jesus shows up, Nicodemus comes to him at night and he said, he didn't ask how to be born again. That's not what Nicodemus asked Jesus. He said, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And how can I, enter? basically he was saying, how do I get into this kingdom? And here's Jesus' response. He said, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he will never see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he will never enter the kingdom of God. Don't be surprised when I tell you, you must be born again. See, the born again message was not on how to be born again. The born again message was what? How to get into the kingdom of God. And so I began to look and I was going, my goodness, this was, this was everything Jesus taught. Uh, every parable. When Jesus would teach parables, how would the parable begin? The kingdom of God is like this. So I, I'm reading through Luke and it says, Jesus said, I came into the world to proclaim, to, to reveal the kingdom of God. Then in Luke 8, 1, it said, Jesus went city to city to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 9, 1 said, Jesus took the 12 and sent them city to city to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Luke 10, 1 said, Jesus gathered 70 and sent them out two by two to go city to city to preach the gospel of the kingdom. So I said, this is pretty serious. This was this message they had that he's saying, this is it. I give it to you. We're giving it to others. And guess what Matthew 24, 14 says? And when this gospel of the kingdom is preached to every nation, then the end will come. And I realized we've been sitting here waiting on Jesus. And he's been sitting there waiting on us. Because he said, there's this message, this gospel of the kingdom, and you're to take it to every nation, then the end will come. So we've got to figure out who's waiting on who here. We have, a, we have a message. We have a job to do. We have a message to proclaim. And so God began to speak to me. You know, I, I was asking, what is this message as we travel? What, what am I supposed to tell these people? Am I supposed to tell them, our religion's better than yours? You know, we got holy men and they teach us, and you got holy men that teach you, but our holy men that teach us are better than your holy men that teach you. I said, is that our message? Is it a competition between religions of which one's better? You know what that causes? Arguments and wars. That doesn't reach anybody. Was that God's message? No, his message was about a kingdom, not about a religion. Jesus did not come to start a religion. In fact, the people that gave Jesus the most problem while he was here were people who ran a religion. They didn't like it because he came and said, I'm talking about a kingdom. And they were going, well, if everybody follows him... We lose our religion, we, and, and we're in charge here. So, we, so there was, they were threatened by this message. So what was this message? Not only that Jesus came to tell us, but the message that he came to give us to tell others. It was called the gospel of the kingdom. You know how many times the gospel of the kingdom is mentioned in the New Testament? I found it 92 times. It's the only message Jesus ever preached. So I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to 
teach or preach a message, you know which one I ought to preach? The one Jesus preached. That's a pretty good message. So he, so he said, I came to preach this message, this good news of the kingdom of God. So I'm going, okay, what is it? So I, I, I knew Jesus. I knew who Jesus was. I knew that he had died on the cross for my sins. And I knew that he had, had come to make me right with God and reconcile me to God and make a way for me to enter God's kingdom, to, be, to have eternal life, to go to heaven when I died. That's what Jesus came to do for us. That's not what he came to teach us. See, Jesus was a prophet, a priest, and a king. Well, what we promote is his priestly role. You know what the priest did? Offered sacrifices in the Holy of Holies that made people right with God, except he was the high priest and he was the sacrifice. He became the sacrifice that went to God and said, no more sacrifices needed. That was his priestly role. But he was also a prophet, a teacher. And what did they call him? Rabboni, teacher. And he was a king. And so I said, so what we've done in the gospel, the gospel is not just about the high priestly role of Jesus. It's about the prophet that came to tell us about God's kingdom. And it's about a kingdom that he will rule and reign in. It's all of that. The gospel was the gospel of a kingdom. And so I said, okay, God... I've, I've, I've had this sort of concept or I hear about the kingdom. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I'm pretty simple. So you got you to put this in a real simple for me. What is the kingdom of God? What is it? And as I began to study it and begin to read and begin to ask others, and I, this has been about an eight-year journey for me of trying to understand what was this gospel of the kingdom. Here is what I think it is. And I, I, you can test that. I always tell people, test everything I say. We're, don't, don't just take for... When somebody tells you something, don't just say, that's it. You test it. Go back to the scripture and, and talk about it. But <clears throat> here's what I think the gospel of the kingdom is. I think the gospel of the kingdom is about a home and a family. That's what I think it is. See, when God created us in the beginning, He created us to be like Him. Now, I have created three people that are like me, unfortunately. I mean, so that's pretty good. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's good. In fact, our children, my wife and I, we have three children, and they are the two of us living in one body. And they really, they, they're smart like me, and they act like their mother. Uh, but we punish them for that. But, it, no, the truth... The truth is, they're smart like her, and they act like me, so we punished them for that. That's the real truth. If she was, I have to say that even though she's not here. I've got to get that record straight. I might get back to her. But our children are sort of like us, aren't they? They turn out like us, naturally. God created us to be like Him. God wanted a family. And so He creates a home, and He starts a family. He, he has this creation, and He puts it in a garden, puts the garden in the creation. And what does he put in the garden? A family. And so it was the first garden home. Do I have garden homes here? I don't know. But um, God created a home and a family. And what he wanted was a family, an expression of himself. And, and as I travel around the world, and you saw some of the places we've been, there's one thing that's in common with every person I've ever met. 
And it's not that they all want to be have a religion. That's not the common theme of every person I've ever met. I don't care if they're Baptist or Buddhist. I don't care if they're Methodist or Muslim. Everybody I've ever met wants one thing. They want a home and a family. Every one of them. They want a home to belong to and a family to love them. And you know what? I think that is the gospel of the kingdom. How did God reveal himself? Did he reveal himself as a pastor or a father? Are we his congregation or are we his children? When we go to live with him forever, are we going to church or are we going home? God painted a picture of his kingdom, what he wanted, what his desire was when he created a family. Satan came to destroy the, who God, he came to lie about who God was and to, to destroy the revelation of who God was as God was revealing himself to make himself known. There was no such thing as the church. That came thousands of years later. What did Satan go to destroy? The family. And guess what he's doing today? The very same thing. The picture of God's kingdom is a home and a family. And it's what we all want. In fact, those of us who have one that seems to be working, we probably spend most of our money and most of our time on our home and our family. And and that's where we find our greatest joy. In fact, one thing I've discovered in trying to understand the truths, God's trying to teach us his truths, and one thing, and test this, but, but look, research this a little bit. Every truth that God reveals in Scripture, every truth that he says this is what's true, is, is all focuses on relationships. Every truth that God reveals to us is centered in a relationship. What one should be, what one is, how one fell apart, and how one ought to be restored. He's about establishing relationship and restoring relationship. That's what the Jesus coming to die was all about. Was where the relationship went bad and God said, I want to restore this relationship. And he, he, he did it even at the expense of sending his own son to die for us. See, the value of your life is not in the amount, the dollar figure of the possessions you have. The value of your life is in the depth of the relationships you have. Uh, when you go around the world, my, my son Joey's been to Africa with me a few times, and he, the first time he came back from Africa, I said, Joey, what'd you learn? He said, I learned this. He said, um, they have nothing, but they have everything, and we have everything, but we have nothing. And I said, okay, that really was profound. What does it mean? What are you talking about? He said, Dad. He said, they have nothing. The most valuable thing they possess is each other. He said, the depth of their relationships and friendships, that's all they have. And over here, I've got friends, and guess what we do? We get together and look at our stuff. And he said, I I saw this. He said, We have everything, but we have nothing. They have nothing, but they have everything. Because let me tell you what, when your relationships are bad, it doesn't matter how much money you have in your pocket. When when your family's falling apart, it doesn't matter how many things you own or possess. 
And God created us for relationship. And relationship is to be lived out in a family. See, the church is not a picture of God's kingdom. Let me say that again. The church is not a picture of God's kingdom. The church is the people of God's kingdom. You want a picture of God's kingdom? What is it? A family. And so that's what God wants, and that's what Satan comes to destroy. By the way, Satan wants everything that God wants. You know that. So does Satan want a family? Absolutely. And so the the Pharisees were saying, Jesus was saying, uh, teaching them, and they said, we're the children of God. Don't talk to us like that. We're the children of God. What did Jesus tell them? He said, you're children all right. You're the children of the devil. That's what he told them. So the devil has, he wanted children too. He's trying to get people to follow him, be like him, to be his children. And the Bible calls those who follow Satan the children of disobedience. So Satan wants everything God wants. He wants children to follow him. The only problem is when you follow him, it leads in destruction. It leads to death. And when you follow Christ, it leads to life. But Satan counterfeits everything. So he has a family too. He wants a family. So he's deceiving us to follow him. You know, um, family, we, we look at our families and we, we look at our war, and, and it's true everywhere. We talk about the divorce rate in America and how families are under attack and falling apart, and that's everywhere in the world. You know, they... Uh, uh, you go to Russia and you talk to them about divorce and they say, well, we have five divorces for every one you have in America. And we're saying, boy, we're in bad shape. The world's in bad shape. The attack on the family is everywhere. And even in here, you know, we're in here, uh, like Sue said, you're either here because you're here because your friends are here, you're here because you're interested in knowing God, or you're here because you know him. But, you know, so so we're here for a lot of different reasons. But even in when you see a, a, a the people of God gather, or the, uh, those who are seeking God, what do you find? Broken homes, broken relationships, even in the church. I mean, Satan comes in to divide. Six thing God hates, seven he loathes. He really hates. Proverbs 6. What's the seventh one? A brother who causes division. People who come in and divide and destroy. God hates those. He hates those people. You know what he tells? I don't want to tell you what he says to do with them because if there's some of them here, <laughs> uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But it's not very good what God says to do with the brother who brings division. So God, uh, his truth is relationship. His desire is relationship. We're created for relationship. We're created for an eternal relationship. Uh, I know there's college kids here. My son Joey was a, worked as a college um, director uh, in a church in Nashville where we live, Nashville, Tennessee, and he said, Dad, you got to come t- talk to the college kids. And I said, okay, I'll come speak to them. What about? About getting married. None of them want to get married. These are Christian kids going to a, a, a Christian church saying, we're not getting married. You, you know how the divorce rate's gone down? You know the divorce rate is going down dramatically. Isn't that great? You know why it's going down dramatically? Nobody gets married anymore. They just live together. 
Kids are going, I ain't getting married. I mean, I went to church all my life. My parents went to church and got older, and they just abandoned each other and abandoned our family, fell apart. I ain't doing that. I'd rather just live with somebody. So he said, Dad, you got to come talk to us. And so I did a thing on why I get married. Why do you get married? I said, first of all, guys, I mean, you need to understand something. Marriage is temporary. It's not permanent. They went, what? It's temporary. It's in the scripture. A man shall leave a mother and a woman leave her home. The two shall become one till death parts them. Sorry, guys. After you die, you're not married anymore. Marriage is a temporary thing here on earth. It's very valuable, but it's temporary. The marriage relationship between a husband and a woman is a picture of Christ and his church. Your home should be a revelation of the kingdom of God. God's revealing himself and his kingdom through your family. And so he created families to be the representation of his kingdom. So how do we pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where is that to happen? In your home. In your family. And, that, and so Satan comes to distort and destroy that. He's a liar. And he lies and, and, and distorted. I said, the reason you marry is you marry because it's a picture of the covenant that God has between himself and his people. It's a picture of Christ and his bride. It's a temporary covenant that teaches us about an eternal covenant. And you can't understand the eternal covenant until you understand the temporary one. It's a picture. It's a picture of God's eternal plan for family and devotion. Uh, wh- where do you, you know where you learn patience? You know, God teaches us, I want you to have my nature and my character. I want you to be kind and patient and loving and forgiving and all these things. You know where you learn that? On Sunday morning in a Sunday school class, right? No. Where do you learn patience? Being married. Where do you learn forgiveness? Being married. Where do you learn long-suffering? Being married. You know, he said, I said... I've been married 41 years, and it was 13 of the best years of my life. <laughs> one guy I heard one guy say, marriage is like the front end of a puppy. <laughs> Doesn't everybody love the front end of a puppy? You get that puppy, and you love the front end, you come home, and they say, where'd the rest of this come from? <laughs> but marriage is a picture It's a picture of an eternal covenant that God desires for people to love and devote themselves to one another and be faithful and kind and learn to forgive and learn to encourage. That's what our homes are for. Our homes are to be a picture of the kingdom. So what does Satan come to destroy? Our homes. Every instruction in Scripture to train up children, to know and to serve God, every instruction in Scripture is not given to the church. There's not one time in Scripture that it's the church's responsibility to to raise children to know, to love, and to serve God. Every Scripture that gives that instruction is given to the parents in a home. So what does Satan go to destroy? The home. Um, When our homes fall apart... They fall, fall apart because people abandon each other or abandon a commitment to each other. They, they get overcome by the world or deceived or discouraged. And, but the great thing, God, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never do that. 
That's what a home should be. A place where you're never abandoned, where you're always loved. And when you get off track, people bring, get, help you get back on track in love, not in condemnation, but encouragement and love. They model for each other what it means to be true and what it means to be right, what it means to be loving and caring. And yet the enemy comes in and deceives us and leads us astray. Look what he did to the first family. God puts a family in the garden to be a picture, a revelation of himself and his kingdom. Romans one twenty. no one has an excuse because the created things of God declare the invisible things of God. So the family, this visible family, was to declare this eternal kingdom. And he does that. So Satan enters and he comes straight to the family, lied to the wife. She deceived the husband and the kids killed each other. That's the first family. Happened pretty quick, didn't it? I mean, that's what happened. And Satan said, I will destroy this picture. I will destroy this thing so that people won't know who you are, God, and won't understand your kingdom. And they will walk in darkness. And they will walk in deception and darkness. And Jesus said that he came in as light to, to bring us back to the truth. So we, and he would proclaim this kingdom. He said, I want you to see the truth. You're walking in darkness. And, and there are verses, we, we, we misuse verses in the Bible all the time. Even I see it in movies and on billboards. The truth will set you free. All things work together for good. Neither one of those are true. It's not what the Bible says. It says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things don't work together for good. I've got lives that have fallen apart and they died with their lives falling apart. All their struggles didn't work out for good. It says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So it doesn't always work out. Oh, the world's full of lies. We're all God's children, right? No. We're all God's creation. But in Christ, we can become His children. Some are children of disobedience. They're children of the devil. That's what Jesus said. I, I encourage all of you, <laughs> we talked about this over the weekend. I encourage you, remember Jesus was a prophet, a priest, and a king. And we love that prophet role of Jesus to enter the Holy of Holies and present the sacrifice so that our sins can be forgiven. They, uh, the, the priestly role of Jesus. But we remember he was a prophet. He came to teach us and tell us the truth. <clears throat> says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's a guy on every street corner and a guy in every television show and every politician out there said, let me tell you the truth. And it's not all true. Here's what the scripture says. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth, everybody out there spouting off what they think is true. We have a source of truth that comes straight from God and it's Jesus himself. That's where we find truth. And that's where we can get it right. That's where we're made right through the priestly role of Jesus and we can get it right through the teachings of Jesus, the, the, the teaching role of Jesus, and then we can have it all because of the kingly role of Jesus. See, one thing, I, my, my, my wife and I travel some around the world, and every time we travel, 
we get our will out and we look at all the things we're going to leave our children, make sure it's all done right. And so we worded right and everything. And it's not much, but they get whatever it is, they get it. Uh, in other words, our children are heirs to everything we have. And it's all spelled out. And the Bible says in the kingdom that Jesus, the son of God, is heir to the kingdom. And that we, through Christ, can become his children. And we're also heirs to the kingdom. My name's on the will. Is yours? That's a good place to have your name in it. <laughs> I, I want my name on that inheritance. I want to be an heir to the kingdom of God. This eternal kingdom that is, that's built on love and where things are always true and things are always right. And where the motive of everything is love. That's the home I want. That's the home we ought to project right here. That's what our families are supposed to do. We're to be a picture. Our families are to be a picture of that home. Some of you are here and you go, well, that, my family, we're working on that. We're still together. My wife and I have been married 41 years, and it's been 41 very good years, not 13. And so, uh, but we've got friends and family members, you know, that have gone through terrible divorces and deaths in the family where marriages ended at death and at divorce and uh, we've got uh, most of our kids' friends, you know, they'll come and say, even in the church, not just outside the church, say, well, our family, my parents split up. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the thing I would tell young people, if you're here and you're not married, and, and I, hopefully you've got a family that's modeling God's kingdom for you, but many times you don't. Most, most kids don't have that. But the thing is, you didn't get to choose the family you were born into, but you do get to choose the family you give birth to. You don't get to choose the family you're born into, but you do get to choose the family you give birth to. And you say, you know what? The family I give birth to, I'm going to model after God's kingdom. It's going to be that picture. So God never gives up on us. There are single moms probably right here in this room that are fighting the good fight and doing an incredible job reaching their children. God said, when a husband abandons his wife or when a, um, you know, Either if a husband dies or if he abandons his wife, he said, I'll become the father to the widow. I'll, I will be the one who will be the husband, I'm the husband to the widow, the husband to the abandoned. God will never forsake you, no matter what happens to your family here. And children, the same thing. He said, I'll be a, I'll be a father to the orphan. He said, so when, when it seems like our families fall apart and are either by tragedy or death or divorce, God will never leave you or forsake you. And he will play that role. There are uh, there's some stepmoms and dads. It's, it's always been fascinating to me that God's son, Jesus, our Savior, was raised by a stepfather. I don't know if you've ever thought of that before. So Jesus was, uh, when his mother gave birth, she was pregnant before she got married. Interesting. That's the life of Jesus. <laughs> pregnant before she got married and raised by a stepdad. That's, a, that's the life of a lot of kids in America today, isn't it? Raised around the world. That was the life Jesus grew up with. God doesn't abandon us when we find ourselves in broken situations. He's still there to be faithful and to heal and to restore things. 
But that still, I don't want us to give up on the family. I don't want us to give up on, on the future of the family. I want us to, to, to pray for those who are walking in brokenness and hurt and be a part, be agents of reconciliation and restoration. He's called us to do that. But young people here, decide now. Don't, don't conform to this world. Don't look at the way this world treats love and marriage and sex and all this kind of stuff. There's, there's a real truth, an eternal truth that we find in the gospel of the kingdom, that we find in the teachings of Jesus of how to build families, families that, uh, that are picture the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm about finished. I don't know what time it is, but I, th- I'll, tell you this, I'll tell you this one and how, how important this family is. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 27 years, and then we've been working with youth pastors and churches for a long time. And uh, I'd, I'd have kids come to me, and they'd say, thank you so much for being our youth pastor 2,900 years ago, and, and th- all the things that you taught us and everything. So I would just give them a test. I'd say, all right, what did I teach you? You remember what I said? They said, no. <laughs> I went, okay, my teaching was really impactful on you. I, the, what do you remember? I mean, that 20, 25 years ago, you're thanking me for having this influence on your life, and you don't remember one word I said. And, and I said, what was it? So I can even help others, uh, others, uh, youth pastors or others in ministry or other families. I, I said, what can I tell people that really made a difference in your life? And this was the majority, over 90% of the kids, this was their response. I wanted a family like yours. They weren't listening. They were watching. They saw a husband and a wife committed to the Lord and committed to each other. Not perfect, but on that journey. They saw parents who were loving their children and teaching their children. I just wanted a home like yours. People are watching, and what are we showing them? The church is not a picture of God's kingdom. The church is the people of God's kingdom. Your home is a picture of His kingdom. God came and did all this all because he wanted a home and a family. Let's pray. Lord, there's, there's so many here. There are young people who haven't started their homes yet, and they've seen good models and bad models. There are adults here who are fighting the good fight and have survived the struggles and trials of this life and are hanging on and holding on to what is good and right about family. There are others who failed, who been overcome by the enemy, have been deceived and led astray. And God, you're not giving up on any of us. You love all of us. And you're making a way through, through your son, uh, through his spirit that can live in us to give us power to overcome anything, to give us the power to be your children. So God, wherever we find ourselves today, help us to turn to you and put our trust in you. And Lord, I pray for every family that's here and every family that will be created from this place that we would work 
for our families to be a picture of your kingdom. And our prayer would be, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right here on earth, in our families, in our homes, in our lives, just like it is in heaven. Amen.